welcome to the UTG at Work podcast. I'm Deacon Mike Houghton. I'm the executive director of an apostolate called UTG at Work. Our mission is to help women and men joyfully live their faith and witness to Christ in the gospel in the workplace. I'm happy to be with you as we explore the Sunday gospel in ways that help people who work. This weekend, we celebrate the 21st Sunday in Ordinary Time, and our gospel is a reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus went to the region of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter said in reply, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said to him in reply, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my heavenly Father. And so I say to you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of the netherworld shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly ordered his disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. I have three personal connections to this particular gospel, so please allow me to share them very briefly before diving into the thrust of the homily. In 2011, I had the awesome experience during a trip to Rome to take something called a scavi tour. Scavi basically means excavation. And we took this tour into the excavations which took place in the late 1930s and 1940s directly beneath St. Peter's Cathedral. We wound down along the tunnels until we reached the spot directly under the altar where the bones of St. Peter are buried. The church is not just figuratively built upon the rock, which is Peter, but the major church run by the Bishop of Rome, who is Peter's successor, is literally built upon Peter himself. By the way, these scavi tours under St. Peter's Cathedral are still happening today. All you need to do is purchase a ticket in advance. I would not recommend going on the tour if you're claustrophobic, as the trip down the tunnels can be a bit much for those who are. In 2016, I had the great honor of serving as deacon at a mass which was presided by Pope Francis, the latest in the succession of popes following Peter. And in 2019, I had the great privilege of being at the spot which was once known as Caesarea Philippi in northern Israel. I'll talk more about the site in a moment, but all around it there are small rocks which pilgrims will often take home with them as souvenirs to remind them of this passage which says, You are rock. I have one such small rock in my chapel at the back of my property in Romeo. These experiences come rushing back to me every time I read this particular gospel passage. I recall them with much thanks and gratitude for the blessings that I have had in my life to experience firsthand the land where Jesus walked and the home of the Catholic Church. Caesarea Philippi was located about 20 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. Today we would think nothing of driving 20 miles to get to our destination, but Jesus and his disciples would have walked there in the hot sun. This was not a quick or an easy walk for them. So there must have been some reason that he took them to that site to have the conversation that we hear about in today's gospel. Jesus wanted to know who people thought that he was, but he was most interested in who his apostles thought that he was. He's now fully engaged in his ministry at this point, and the very next thing he'll do after this passage in Matthew is to tell them about his passion and death. It was important for him to make some things clear to them before he continued to reveal the path that he must walk for their salvation and indeed for our salvation. He needed them to understand that he was the Messiah, the Son of God. And even when they did hear Peter confess that he was, 
well, they still struggled at first to understand why he needed to be crucified. But, why go all the way to Caesarea Philippi to have this discussion? Why not just have it in Galilee, perhaps even in the synagogue there? To understand this, we must appreciate what was happening at that time in Caesarea Philippi. This is the spot where people came to worship the pagan god Pan, and to pay tribute to the emperor Caesar Augustus, who was considered to be divine in the Roman culture. It was a place of pagan worship. The site has a huge rock rising from the ground with a cave on the left-hand side. King Herod built a large temple there made out of white marble imported from Greece, which he devoted to Caesar. People would walk through the temple to get to the cave, and there they would throw living animal sacrifices into the water that filled the cave to appease the gods and sometimes even to pray for help with problems in their lives. In truth, it's a rather impressive sight to see. It's beautiful, but it's also intimidating, almost like a scene out of a Harry Potter movie. As I was praying about today's gospel, I could see Jesus very sad that this beautiful sight that God had created was now being used to worship false gods. Where did humanity go so far off course? Jesus brings his apostles to this site so that they can clearly understand that he is truly God, whereas these other false gods are nothing. It's almost as though he brought them there to have them make a choice. Were they going to believe in him as God or in the other false gods? Now was the time to get this on the table, because he was about to reveal his passion and death. After all, if Jesus were just a prophet like John the Baptist or Elijah or Jeremiah, as some thought of him, then he would have been an important person, but the world could just give him his due and then go on worshiping their pagan gods. But if they understood him to be God, the rules of the game had to change. And so he asked them, point blank, Who do you say that I am? And Peter jumps to the front of the line to say, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. What an amazing thing to say. No one had been comfortable going there up to this point. They may have suspected this to be the case. They may have even hoped that it would be the case. But Peter just blurted it out as a fact. And how did Peter figure it out? Well, he didn't. Jesus makes it clear that this was revealed to him by God the Father. And so Jesus declares him to be the rock upon which his church would be built. This despite Peter's faults, despite his stubbornness, and even despite the fact that he would soon deny Jesus three times. This is a revealed truth. No one in the group could have come to that conclusion on their own, at least not at this point in Jesus' ministry. We who are disciples today don't have to ponder this or any other revealed thing. We benefit from these things being revealed to people before us. You might say that we stand on the shoulders of others to whom these things have been revealed. So, Jesus walked about 40 miles round trip with his disciples so that they could come to the realization that he was God. And he wanted them to do it in a site where they were surrounded by pagan worship of false gods. Now, when people preach on this gospel, it's common to challenge those in the audience by asking them, Well, how about you? Who do you say that the Son of Man is? And while this can be effective at times, I suspect that most people listening to this podcast already believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the Living God. You probably don't need to be convinced of that. No, the thing that many of us need to contemplate isn't who Jesus is. We already know the answer to that. The thing that many of us need to contemplate is how we live out that reality when we too are surrounded by pagan worship of false gods. In our day and time, we no longer worship the pagan god Pan, and I certainly hope that no one believes that our president is divine. But our society does worship false gods. 
We worship the gods of money, power, sex, celebrity, and the list goes on. The people of Jesus' time thought of him as John the Baptist, or Elijah, or Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. We live in a world that thinks of Jesus as someone nice, someone who accepted everyone, or someone who was perhaps a neat historical figure who had a gift for saying memorable things. In other words, he's well-liked, but he's not necessarily God. And one of the places where our world most denies the divinity of Jesus is the workplace, where many of us are told to either keep our faith to ourselves, or even worse, trained to buy into the beliefs and ways of life that we know to be against the teachings of the Bible and our church. Far too often, we're just like the apostles in today's gospel. They confess that Jesus is God while surrounded by pagan worship. We confess that Jesus is God while surrounded by a world that doesn't want us to talk about it. Is Jesus still God in the all-people meeting, in the quarterly business review, in the staff meeting? Well, if he's greater than the false gods of Caesarea Philippi, then he's the God of those places as well. And we need to live our lives in recognition of that fact. How we do this will vary depending on our circumstances, but we must always remember that what we have is good news. In fact, we have very good news. We bring a message of salvation and hope to a world that desperately needs it, even if it doesn't understand that it needs it. We are called to unleash the gospel, even at work. I'll leave you with one final thought. When Jesus gave Peter the keys to the kingdom of heaven, he told him, You are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of the netherworld shall not prevail against it. Often people will hear this, and they'll picture the church defending herself against the netherworld, battling to stay alive but never giving in. The attacks will continue, but don't worry, we'll survive until Jesus comes again. But ask yourself, do gates attack? No, gates are built to defend. So I offer another perspective. I like to think about the church as being the one on the offensive, charging the netherworld with veracity and pushing on to the gates of hell wearing the armor of God. She isn't defending, she's attacking. The gates that we're attacking are the lies of the secular world who try to convince us that God has no place in the public square, in our schools, or at work. But we don't attack with conventional weapons. We don't need them. Our weapons are the love of Christ, the Bible, the rosary, and hopefully someday a lapel pin with the UTG at Work logo on it. The love of Christ is enough. Our world doesn't need any more division or anger. As we like to say here at UTG at Work, it's better to light a candle than to curse the darkness. If your workplace is your Caesarea Philippi, don't be afraid and don't give up. You can worry about the pagan worship going on around you, or you can trust that Jesus brought you there to show that he's much more powerful than that. Be strong and trust in the Lord. He is indeed the Christ, the Son of the living God. We are called to live our lives in that truth. Thanks for joining me for this week's UTG at Work podcast. I look forward to meeting again next week. In the meantime, I encourage you to boldly live your faith in the workplace in the week ahead. I'll pray for your success, and I ask that you pray for the success of this UTG at Work apostolate. If you want to learn more about us, please visit utgatwork.org. Now go in peace, glorifying the Lord by your life.